Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Bex Ajak. Today is the third part of our series, Australia's Race to Warm the Planet, where we hear about this country's particular contribution to the world's emissions. In the first episode, we looked at the expansion of coal mining around the country. And in the second episode, we looked at the growth of unconventional gas mining, or hydraulic fracturing, commonly known as fracking. Today, we're going to have a bit more of a personal look at the issue. We talked to two women who had never considered themselves as activists before, but became involved in the fight against mining when drilling was set to begin basically in their backyards. Later on, we'll talk to Vicky Perrin from Lock the Gate in central Queensland. But first, we're joined by Anne Kennedy, president of the Great Artesian Basin Protection Group. Thanks for joining us, Anne. Thank you, Beck. And so the Great Artesian Basin Protection Group, tell us, for those, for those people who have no idea, I'm sure you can't believe we exist, but what is the Great Artesian Basin? Well, the Great Artesian Basin is the single greatest resource that Australia has. It's um, the largest, deepest artesian basin in the world, and it lies under about 22% of Australia. It lies under 25% of New South Wales. Um, it is finite water. It's ancient Jurassic water for millions of years ago, and it is the absolute vital lifeblood of inland Australia. So it provides the water supply to uh, those that live in that region. How, how many people yes. get their water from the from the Great Artesian Basin? Well, it's, there are various basins and various depths. They're all connected, mm-hmm. but. Um, you just have to drill down into it and then this amazing clear water comes up and it's the reason that inland Australia was opened up all those 130 or whatever years ago now. It's just, we have no other water out here. It's the only permanent water. I know, you know, in northern Queensland and there's rivers and things, but yeah, here it's all we've got. Okay, and what percentage of Australians get their water from that supply? Well, nearly a quarter of Australia. And how do you... So you get your water from having a bore, a bore well in the ground? Is that... Yes, they drill. They drill into they drill the aquifers. Down. And often they drill through one aquifer and go deeper to get to the better water because there's different qualities of water at different depths. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a giant water supply underground. So um, what's yes. the history of, of water preservation in the area? I know you were somewhat involved in that. Yes, well, I'd always been passionate about our groundwater because of how vital it was. And we'd kept and part the bores initially were all free-flowing, which meant they'd drill into the aquifer and then they'd just let the water run out down, well, they were called bore drains, just open channels in the ground. This wasted about 95% of this finite resource. It was just evaporating or running into the ground. So they decided to start capping and piping and they would actually cap the bore and then reticulate the water through polypipes to troughs. And as I said, this saved, you know, 95% of the water. So um, when it was proven that it's a finite water system, obviously this was vital. Mm -hmm. And so it was a way to be more sustainable in the use of that water? Yes, to save that water for future generations. And when was that taking place, that um, preservation project that that you were involved in? Well, well, we started capping and piping um, before Gabsy started. There's a a 
joint government initiative called GABSI that started in 1999. Mm-hmm. And that was to get joint government funding to encourage people to cap and pipe and preserve this water because it's not only that we were wasting so much water, suddenly they were drastically losing pressure. And um, you need the pressure, obviously, to get the water to the surface. Right. Um, so we capped and piped ours already, but um, this GABSI initiative started in '99. And I was very active in that. Okay. So what's important is that the the amount of water, but also that there's pressure. Does it get pushed up from underground? Does it? Is that yeah, is that where exactly. the pressure comes from? The hydrogeologist explained to me. He said we probably will never run out of water in the very depths of the basin, but mm-hmm. it'll be getting it up to the surface that'll mm-hmm. be the problem. And without pressure, we'll never be able to get to it. So yeah. So basically, we need the water and the pressure. Tell us. What, when did mining start in this area and when did you first sort of start hearing about it? Well, we don't have mining in our area yet at all, mm-hmm. um, but we've got a PEL, which is a Petroleum Exploration Licence, over this whole area, which is why I started looking into it. And um, they, we have Santos, they were initially Eastern Star Gas, took out a licence over the whole Pilliga Forest, State Forest, to start drilling for gas there and then they were taken over by Santos and they've been doing exploratory drilling there for about five or six years I think Mm -hmm. and um, they've had they're still only in the exploratory stage and yet they've had massive spills and accidents and mishaps Um, so yeah we're very concerned about it because this is the recharge southern recharge area of the Great Artesian Basin right where they're drilling in the Pilliga Sandstone so it sounds like you started, you know about this precious water supply, you started hearing that um, people want to start drilling in, you know, that they could drill yeah, in well, the basin. Yeah, well a friend rang and said, look, mm-hmm. you're so worried about this um, pressure, which with Gabsy, with the capping and piping, we were finally, the pressure was increasing. And this friend said, why don't you go and look into coal seam gas mining? I'd never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started looking into it and I was horrified mm-hmm. <laughs> because the basic tenet of calcium gas mining is the exact opposite of what we were doing. They have to remove the pressure, drain the water, release the pressure to get the gas to come to the surface. So what they were doing was the complete opposite of what we were trying to do. Senator Heffernan, I remember he said to me, it's like bricking a thousand holes in a balloon. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to drill, punch through the aquifers and, and remove the pressure. So basically you had been um, working to preserve the, the pressure, preserve the water, and then you started hearing that, that there's mining which could dilute the pressure? the unconventional gas. And uh, yes, I then went up and looked into it. I went to a lot of lectures. I talked to hydrogeologists. I really studied it. And the more I studied it and the more I saw, the more alarmed I became. It's just so multifaceted, the problem of coal seam gas mining. It's Initially, it's how much water it uses from a finite resource, like 1,500 billion litres of this finite resource a year, and that's the conservative government figures. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the depressuring, um, it's the polluting of the Great Artesian Basin with their drilling fluids. It's not just the chemicals used in fracking, the heavy metals and toxins that are naturally occurring in the coal seams. They're brought to the surface and into the food chain. Um, there's subsidence, faulting, earthquakes, seismic activity. There's huge earthquake incidences happening in America now to the point where they're having to ban it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the gas, the methane leaking in the surface, um, the health impacts to people, the communities that live there are enormous. You know, mm-hmm. the children's health, we've done exhaustive health studies through doctors voluntarily doing it because the government wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's volatile organic compounds, box that leak into the air. Um, yeah, it's just the fire risk. That's another one. The methane leaking through the cracks in the ground. And so what is your group um, focusing on now and how can other people support the work that you do? We're focusing, well, we, I tried, as I said, I'm a very conservative person. I was never an activist in any way. I thought I'd do it the correct way and I, I went to the government. I talked to ministers. Um, we wrote submissions. We did everything we could and nobody was listening. So we then formed Lock the Gate. This was years ago and um, we have just got enormous... Um, unity from people we've been doing it's called a gas field free community survey and you literally door to door property to property house to house you interview people and you ask them with a simple survey if they want it or not now we've done so far three million hectares of northwest new south wales and 97 percent of people don't want gas mining so how is that a democracy mm-hmm well, that sounds like you've been doing some amazing work, Anne. Um, and thank you so much for sharing um, your story. Unfortunately, we don't have any time for more, but I think people have gotten a good sense of what's going on and hopefully they'll thank jump you. on to find a little bit out a little bit more about Lock the Gate. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beck. Thanks very much. That was Anne Kennedy, the president of the Great Artesian Basin Protection Group. You're listening to Women on the Line and soon we'll be joined by Vicky Perrin, another member of the Lock the Gate Coalition. But first, let's hear a song. This is Black Waters, sung by Laurie Lewis. I come from the mountains, Kentucky's my home, where the wild deer and the black bear so lately By the clear rushing waterfall, the wildflowers dream, and through every dark valley there runs a clear stream. Now there's scenes of destruction on every hand, and only black water. On every hand Black waters, black waters Running down through my land Now the quail, she's a pretty bird She sings a sweet tongue In the roots of the tall timber She nests with the Poisonous water Run down through my land 
On community radio stations around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. In the rising of the springtime, we planted our corn. At the ending of the springtime, we buried our song. And then yonder comes a nice man, he says everything's fine. My employer just requires. Listening to Women on the Line, and today we're talking to two women directly affected by mining. Next up, we're joined by Vicky Perrin, who says she'd never been an activist before. In fact, she worked in a uranium mine for years and says she was on the other side of the fence in confrontation with activists many times. But that all changed when um, the encounter with mining she was having became very personal. She's going to tell us all about that today. Vicky, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So maybe you could start off um, by telling us a little bit more about your background, um, both about where you've lived and your professional connection to mining. Well, I have lived in mine towns all over Australia. My ex-husband worked in the mines and I had a lovely life of, you know, stay-at-home mum. And um, then when I moved to Roxby Downs, I was employed by WMC, who doesn't, they no longer own that mine, it's owned by BHP now, at Olympic Dam. So it was my job in the lab to um, collect samples from workers um, of dust, noise, acid, mist, you know, those sorts of things that they're exposed to in their 
everyday working environment um, and report those, you know, to the company for the government. And so um, then what happened sort of to make you first question the industry? Well, I, I, it, it's not so much... I mean, I think workers are very well protected, in, especially in uranium. I'm not sure about what it's like to work in a coal mine because I haven't done that and I don't know whether they have regular, you know, um, monitoring programs for their workers. But, um, you know, a worker goes and he expects to be kept safe for his eight-hour shift. My problem with what I was doing was that there are all these standards for workers, but there's no standards for communities. So mining companies do environmental monitoring, which is not representative of a human being's exposure. So for people living in the gas fields that are complaining of um, you know, headaches and nosebleeds and all those sorts of things, environmental monitoring is not checking their exposure and that's my problem. There needs to be um, proper standards set for these communities that are being industrialised and polluted. Okay, so did you start um, sort of thinking about that while you were still working in the uranium mine? Yeah, absolutely. I started thinking about that, especially having a small child myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't like sometimes, you know, if I got a high reading in, in some place, you know, maybe I was often asked to go back and take an extra sample to bring that average down. I mean, that's unethical. I don't think that's fair to the people that work there. And I, I just think it's it's too self-regulated. We need to take over and keep these companies accountable for what they expose their workers to. You know, we've seen in um, Hopelands in Queensland, you know, allegations of Link Energy um, exposing their workers to BTECs. I mean, this is just not on. Mm-hmm. And so you've heard about how you, you sort of left that uranium mining world. And then um, could you talk us through how you got involved in the Lock the Gate um, Coalition and maybe a bit about what that is? Yeah, well, um, uh, Lock the Gate is a not-for-profit organisation standing with communities and um, farmers and all sorts of people to stand up against this invasion that's happening across our country. Um, I was a little reluctant to join Lock the Gate. Like you said, I've been on the other end of a protest and it it's really has been quite ugly in my experience. Um, but, you know, I travelled around and I saw what they're doing and, they, you know, I feel their sort of ethics are on the same level as mine. You know, we're not protesters, we're protectors um, and we're working with people instead of against them, you know, and that's what attracted me to Lock the Gate. Um, so, and then how did, uh, I know you've, you've told me that um, the mining sort of came very personally to you on your property. Um, if you could, you know, t- uh, just tell that story and, and um, yeah, well, we've how that affected few, you. Yeah, we had a few um, articles in our local paper with the mayor spruiking jobs and things like that and a small coal mine proposed for Avondale. Well, you know, the, the coal rig parked a couple of doors down from mine, so I followed the witch's hats to find out what was going on and I realised that this mine would be right next door to me. And, and with the new legislation changes in, in Queensland, then I would have no right to object to that because um, I'm not directly on that mining lease or where that mine may be, be, would be proposed. You know, my place is sandy, there's no coal under me, but right next to me there is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my son, I was sitting in the driveway crying when I found out the coal was there and my seven-year-old said to me, what are you going to do, Mum? 
And I said to him, you'll just have to give me a couple of days to think about that because I just thought, what can you do? Um, and I came back to him and said, Mum's going to do anything she can. So you found out this coal mine was going to be built next door. What, what, um, what was that legislation? You mentioned a legislation. What, what was it initially and, and how did it change? Um, it, it, it was put through Parliament on the 9th of September last year, five minutes to midnight. The Mineral and Energy Resources Bill is supposed to get rid of, you know, red and green tape and make things a lot simpler for landholders and things like that. But what we've found is that actually is the legislation that very is very much in favour of the mining companies rather than, you know, landholders and community. And it's a, it's an attack on our basic democratic right, you know. If, if, if I want to object to a mine, I should be able to as a... You know, as a community member, I should be able to get water experts in. But with this new legislation, if it if if it's deemed state significant, the project, which most are, the coordinator general can step in, tick off on it, and nobody will be able to object. It's just not fair. And what sort of property, in terms of water, do you um, do you get your water from? I'm reliant solely on rainwater. Mm-hmm. So coal would affect me and, you know, my children's health, obviously, because there'll be coal dust falling on my roof and going into my rainwater tanks and what is a beautiful environment across the road from a rainforest um, will turn into a dusty, yucky place to live. And, you know, when I moved there, I've moved a lot in my life and this is supposed to be my forever home and nobody's going to take it away from me. And what kind of other what other kind of properties are in the area? Is there farmland, or is yeah, it? Mean... This is predominantly um, cattle and cane country. So there's a lot of cane farms. There's um, we grow a lot of fresh produce. So there's eggplants and zucchinis and tomatoes. Quite often, if you're buying cherry tomatoes in Coles, it came from here and is grown just down the road from my place. So you know, there's a huge agricultural industry. We're right on the you know the river that I live across the road from feeds to the southern. Great Barrier Reef. There's a lot of reasons why this is just wrong. Mm-hmm. And what other risks um, do you, does the group feel that the the mine would would um, would bring? You mentioned the water um, and the dust. Was there well, anything? Else? Well, there's a devaluation of our property. Um, the, the history shows throughout Queensland that when mines come, to, you know, move into these areas, you can't sell your property anymore. I mean, people invest everything into their home. That's their castle and mm-hmm. you know they're just coming in at, at such an alarming rate while others are closing down they're trying to push for new ones to open it just doesn't make sense not economically it doesn't make sense at all so yeah you obviously uh, you know sort of t- told your son you were going to take action and, and then you've now joined the the um coal free wide bray burnett uh, group uh, part of the lock the gate is that mm-hmm. um, who who else is part of that and what are you guys uh, sort of what have you been fighting for and what kind of goals have you achieved so far? Well, we first thought we'd just be like our coal free Kalan River because that's where we live. But we started you know digging and looking around and we realised that um, the entire White Bay Burnett is covered in either coal or gas exploration permits. So we've decided that we'd be coal-free Wide Bay Burnett and now we have a half a dozen local groups that we're aligned with and we're working together to um, protect those places. Um, we have 13 communities that have been through the mining-free process that lock the gate um, 
has given us and, you know, they've all declared themselves to their local politicians that these places are no-go zones for the mining companies and if they come, they're going to ask them to leave. But at the moment, we're all about educating people, bringing them the information. If they've got questions, we do our very best to find factual information for those people, as well as the company brochures. We, we don't exclude that from our information. They can compare both. Mm-hmm. It's a real education campaign that we're on at the moment because we don't hear a lot about what's going on except for jobs and money and jobs and money. We're not really hearing what effects are happening to human beings, you know, to whole communities, to, um, you know, to farming land. We're not hearing that. So our thing is we door knock, we go to market stalls, we just, we push that information out there and get the community educated. Well, that is really interesting. And um, thanks so much for sharing your message. And um, sounds like people are, are fighting hard up there. So hopefully some listeners can offer support. Is there some way that you, you would like those listening who aren't from that region to be able to support your cause? Well, of course, one thing they can do is jump onto the Lockergate website and become a member. It's dirt cheap for 10 bucks a year. And, um, you know, keep up to date on the campaigns. And we'd really like to see, especially, you know, city dwellers connecting with those country people that are affected and, and being a voice for us in places that we're not being heard. Thanks. That's great, Vicky. No worries. That was Vicky Perrin from Lock the Gate Coalition telling us about how she personally came to be involved in resistance against mining. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us on Women on the Line for the third instalment of our series, Australia's Race to Warm the Planet. We'll leave you with a song um, put together by Vicky Perrin's group, Coal Free Wide Bay Burnett. We'll be back next week with more. What a shame our politics has gone to Hades. Well, we're here to make a stand. We're taking back our land. Cause mining mixed with politics is shady. Bring down those walls, expose that clause. Dear old Sadies. Without this cleanup, all our laws are crazy lock the gate no time to wait dear old Sadie's protect our country's future for our babies Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenonthelineat at hotmail.com. Yes, we're the Sadies, determined ladies. We're watching you and keeping you in order. Changing laws to suit your mates. We didn't give you those mandates. United will protect our land and water. So scrub the halls, clean up the floor, dear old Sadies. Cause mining mixed with politics is shady. Lock the gate, no, don't you wait, dear old Sadies.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.